Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now put yourself in the people of Israel's shoes. Moses, remember, brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, going towards the promised land. So here was a powerful leader. A leader who they had seen had the anointing of God on his life. A leader who brought Ten Commandments after speaking with God himself in a burning bush. Well, he talked to, the, to God in the burning bush, but later on he received the Ten Commandments when going up to Mount Sinai. Spoke to God face to face. No one else spoke to God like that except Moses in those days. Here was a special man that God favored so much that God was furious with his people and said, Moses, I'm going to wipe out everybody else and I'm going to restart with you. Remember Noah, how I wiped out everybody else but saved Noah and his family? I'm going to do that with you. But Moses said, far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing. Moses interceded on behalf of the people of God to God, and God spared his people by listening to the voice of Moses. Here was a man, if any, who was loved and empowered by God. Moses. Yet, even though all these miracles, the ten plagues, parting the Red Sea, the serpents, remember, healed the people after they were stricken with, they were stricken with boils. They, had, they couldn't even look, but he said, look upon the serpent, you'll be saved. They did, they were healed. The manna that fell from heaven, all these miracles were done through Moses. God's power working through one man, one leader. Millions of people left Egypt, delivered by this man, Moses, by God through this man, Moses. And so this guy dies. They didn't get to the promised land through Moses. And you got to figure for these people, there's probably some things going on in their mind. And there's probably, most of all, going something, there's something going on in Joshua's mind. Here was the man who was the successor. The man who was going to take up the mantle and carry the people of Israel into the promised land. But what credit did he have to his name? This was not a man who had done miracles. This was not a man who healed the sick. He made the blind see. This was not a man who had really anything to his name other than he was a, a chief commander. He supported Moses. He fought some battles. The end. Who is this guy Moses? Especially, you know, this was a guy who didn't have any parents. He was Joshua, the son of Nun. It's bad. It's ill-timed. I used that joke once this week already, too. And some of you still laughed. Joshua, the son of Nun, a person who was a nobody. Now put yourself in his shoes. How did he feel? You're the guy who's going to carry on the mantle. You're going to keep on going. Pass on the torch, carry it, and you're going to light the torch and, uh, and see God do some amazing things. You're going to bring him into the promised land. 
Here's something interesting. Because all of us, whether you like it or not, have either been in or will be in soon a place that Joshua is in. A place where you're starting to become fearful because you have to step out into the world. You have to step out into where God is calling you. And it can be very scary. And as we're going to read later on in the passage, God encourages Joshua. In fact, let's keep on reading and see what happens. Verse 4 says, From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. What a promise. Just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you, he says. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according, according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. That you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will, have, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, many people look at the promised land and picture that as heaven. The promised land is heaven. And we're in the wilderness. We're here on the, in the earth in wilderness. But the book of Hebrews actually tells us that the promised land is a place of blessing that every single believer can enter into. God has great and precious promises that he wants each and every believer to walk into in this life. Not to be a place where you just kind of barely escape sin, you're in wilderness, and you're just kind of miserable until you get to heaven. But he wants you to enter the promised land now. There remains a rest for the people of God, the book of Hebrews says. And there are some people that are not yet diligent to enter into that rest. And so what do they do? They're always working. Always trying to fulfill God's commands. And your idea of a Christian is probably my idea of a Christian when I was about 13, 14. I viewed all, all my life up until I was about 14, I viewed Christianity as the means to get to heaven so I don't burn for eternity. And so I didn't want to sin. I didn't want to go to hell. And I followed God, not because I loved God, but because I was just afraid of burning. And so because of that, I needed to do everything right. I can't lie. I can't curse. I didn't cur I've never cursed in my life intentionally. You know, I had like, you know, every now and then you say like, instead of sit down, you say something else dumb or whatever. But I've never cursed in my life. And that's not to be like, you know, a pat on the back for me. That's to say that that's how legalistic I was. Never smoked, never did drugs, never drank alcohol up until I was 21. I never did any of those things because, and I don't drink alcohol now in case that left you wondering. Never did any of those things because I was so afraid of breaking the rules. So afraid of breaking the rules and then being qualified for hell. But I didn't realize that there was a place of promise that God had for me to enter into. It was my very first mission trip. Going to Hungary when I was 14, and I had left, you know, kind of just going because my friends were going. 
And as I, I went on that trip, I evangelized to a guy who was in the Hungarian military. I told you the story before. But this guy, me being a 14-year-old kid who was five foot one and a half, that's how short I was back then. And this Hungarian guy who was tall, playing basketball with him, spoke great English, muscular dude, in his mid-20s, prime of his life, good-looking guy. I evangelized him, and he accepted Jesus. And so I was so bewildered. Who am I? I didn't do anything. I just had this knowledge because I went to church all my life, and God used me. And that feeling I got, that sense that the Holy Spirit was empowering me, changed me forever. Because I realized it was not about what I do. It wasn't about how much I, I can do to get into heaven. It was about how much God wants to do for us. Notice it says in verse 3 this. He says to Joshua, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Here's the thing you need to know tonight. God has already bought blessings with his blood but you still need to claim them with your feet. God has already bought blessings with his blood, but we as his people still need to claim them by stepping into his calling. God says to Joshua, listen, I have done all the work. I've driven out the Canaanites. There's this evil people inhabiting this evil city, and I drove them out even before you get there. Or Jericho, you knock down, you walk around seven times, the walls fall down, people are gone, and you have this plentiful city where you can reap seeds that you had not sown, reap fruit that you had not sown. You get to inhabit houses that you didn't build. Everything is there for the taking, the promised land. It is the picture for you and I of the blessings of God. Blessings that you receive even though you didn't earn them. And God wants to bless you, maybe not in the way that you expect, but he wants to bless you with his calling, but you still got to be faithful to put your foot inside of his call. It's kind of like if someone were to hand you a winning lottery ticket that you didn't deserve. Someone by chance got the winning numbers. And they handed you the lottery ticket and said, here you go. All you have to do is redeem it. Can I say after I received the lottery ticket that it was my work and it was based on my doing that I received millions of dollars? No. I received something freely, but I still had to receive it and redeem it. In the same way, each and every one of us has, has precious promises that God has given us, and yet we have to fulfill that call. Paul has said that we have to be diligent, diligent to enter that call. God does the work. He works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. But we are made in his image, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we would walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So that being said, I think that's Ephesians 2, 10. I don't know. You can check. That being said, let me ask you this. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? There are two things that we're going to focus on tonight. One is God's promise, and the other is God's power. God's promise and God's power. This, this first thing is God's promise. Like God has promises, and he has a calling for each and every one of us. If he used Moses greatly, it's not because Moses was great. If he used Joshua greatly, it's not because Joshua is great. 
It's because God is great and he chooses um, each and every one of us. He wants each and every one of us to enter into his will. It's not based on our effort. It's not based on how good we are. Here's the other thing you need to know. Because people look at Moses and, and people are like, wow, Moses was so perfect. He was so great. But yet he didn't, he didn't enter the promised land because he struck the rock, remember, instead of speaking to the rock. Moses is a picture of the law. How the law is only designed to bring you to Christ. To show you how you don't match up. You don't match up to the law. You don't match up to Moses. We'll never be like Moses. The great miracles, all the things that he's done. But you get, you know who does bring you into the promised land? It's Joshua. Yeshua, Jesus. The name Jesus is actually just the name Joshua. And it's Joshua who brings us to the promised land, not Moses, not the law, not our works, not what we can do. It's about what God has done. And we need to trust in Jesus, even if it means we don't know where we're going. So here is this leader, Joshua, who's very afraid. Oh boy, I have to fill this call. And that's why God tells him, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this was not a promise for monetarily gain. This was not a promise for peace and prosperity, you know as it pertains to just this life, but this was the calling that Joshua had on his life by God. And we have to ask ourselves, what is God calling us to do as his people? And if he's calling us, we can also be strengthened because our God is faithful. Not because we're good or we're faithful, but because God is faithful. So maybe you have to take your feet today and say, I want to step into what God is calling me to do. Some of you are seniors. You're leaving off to college. And you might be wondering, how am I going to survive in college? How am I going to survive in the real world? You're not going to have me around. You know, I'm always going to be here. You can always call me. You can always text me, whatever. I'm always available for you guys no matter how old you get. But you're stepping out into new territory. Are you going to step into God's calling when you step out into new territory? Or are you going to be afraid? Many people, the reason why their faith crumbles is because they're too afraid of people. They get into class, their college professor says something intimidating, their employer says something Christian bashing, say all those Christians are just gay haters, all, all those Christians, they're just losers, they're legalistic, they're blah, 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 they're this or that. And because they say things like that, it can be intimidating and we don't want to say anything. But you need to know that God, if God is for you, who can be against you? And if God is real, and if God's power can really cleanse us from all sin and all righteousness, we have no reason to be ashamed, no matter what we've done. Even if you make a mistake in college, even if you leave and you do something really, really dumb, God's arm is not shortened, his hand hasn't been closed, and he still has his arms wide open to receive you as a prodigal son or prodigal daughter. But we have to be diligent. And so here's the key. So it's not just like he's promised this. And it's like good luck. But he's actually told exactly what to do. He says this in, in verse 8. It says, this, ball, uh, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. 
Then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. So he says two things. I want you to know my law and meditate on it. Talk about it. Speak about it. Let it be on your lips. The word of God dwelling in you richly. And then expressing itself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That being said, if you want to know how you can maintain your course even after leaving good leadership, which you should be, by the way, passing on to different leadership. It's not just that you have no leadership once you leave Moses. You need another Joshua. You need to continue that on. You have to find a pastor. You have to find a community. You have to find a church. But that being said, you need to have the word of God dwelling in your heart. Meditate in it day and night. And that's how you will have good success. That's how your way will be prosperous. Not in the way that you imagine, but in the way that God has planned. Is when you step into his call following his voice. How do you know his voice? It's when you listen to him speaking to you. Have you ever heard God speak to you? Maybe not audibly, but times you're just reading the word. I, you know what's funny to me is every time I feel like God's ever spoken to me, for the most part, it's because I've done something dumb. It's usually not like, oh, you're doing a great job, and now I just want you to enter into this blessing. I'm like, thank you, God. I'm going to follow you. It's usually like, Alan, what are you doing? It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, ah. And just reading the Bible, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is about me. No. And I'm like crying before the Lord. I'm like, sorry. So many times, like, I feel like I'm doing the right thing, and I read the word, and the word is like a two-edged sword. And it cuts right to the heart, even between bone and marrow. It divides the spirit. It shows you the things that you should have been doing. And so we have to be careful that we're listening to the voice of God above every other voice. Because what's going to happen is you're going to go away to college. You're going to go into school. Maybe some of you aren't going to college, but you're going into public school after being in Christian school. Or you're stepping into a new venture. You're stepping into a new workplace. And you still need to meditate on the word of God day and night. Never changes. Doesn't matter how old you get, you'll never go beyond that. So the promise of God is always true, and we need to now remember the power of God. Flip over to chapter 3 of Joshua. So Joshua's promised all these awesome things, and he's called, just like you and I are also called. But how, do we, how can we know that it's true? How can we know that God is with us? Well, we're about, we're about to see in chapter 3, verse 1. So Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, because remember, he was supposed to cross the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. All right, so now Joshua is commanded to do something kind of strange. You have the Jordan River. If you've ever been to Israel, I've been to Israel. Jordan River is pretty huge. It can be really, really wide, and it's really, really long. And at this point of the season, is very, very dangerous. So crossing the Jordan would have been just as crazy and miraculous as crossing the Red Sea at this point. Just to give you an idea. And so 
they come to the Jordan River, and now it's time for God to show up. You've reached the barrier, you've reached crossroads, and you need God to come through. And maybe you've reached that point in your life where it's like, God, unless you help me, I am in trouble. You opened your mouth, you said something to stand up for the Lord, and some, some person's bashing you, some person is persecuting you, and now it's like, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm in trouble. But oftentimes what happens is we, we don't want to even get near the Jordan because we're afraid, we're afraid of, of failing or looking dumb, looking stupid. We don't enter into God's calling because we're afraid that God won't actually come through. It's like the people of Israel, when they first left Egypt and they went to, you know, the Red Sea and they're trapped. You have the, the Egyptians on one side chasing them. You have the Red Sea keeping them from being able to cross over, otherwise they drown. Stuck in the middle, they said, have you brought us out here to die? And what they were implying was, they were implying this. That it would be better to never try than to try and fail. And so that can be our mentality, isn't it? It would be better to never try, to never step out in faith than to step out in faith and fail. Brian McDaniel, when he went out to Haiti, he took a step of faith. He did something that everyone else thought was ridiculous. But he went out there and, and this other guy, the missions coordinator, he stepped out in faith. Zach talked about how he left this great company, selling all his possessions, told his family. His family's not a believer. And no one in his family's a believer. And he goes out here to the middle of Haiti just saying, Lord, use me. And to the world, that looks like foolishness. Why would you throw away your career, all your dreams? But that's when you got to believe the scripture that unless the Lord builds a house, you're going to labor in vain who build it. And you see, when God purchases the victory and the blessing for you, you don't have to work for it. So you don't, you're free to fail. You're free to give it a try. You're free to look stupid and mess up. You're free to tell your parents, you know what? I'm called to be on the mission field. I'm called to be a missionary. If your parents disagree and like, oh, well, how are you going to make a living? How are you? You're like, I don't know. God will figure it out because he's calling me. It's not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility to figure that out. You know, the Bible says a man's way is of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? In other words, our lives should look a little bit ridiculous because God's the one who's planning it, not us. We should look back at our lives and be like, well, that was a crazy plan. Who would think that up? Only God. So we have to be confident going into the calling because the, the one who's calling us is God. And so it says that um, you are not to leave. They actually encamped three days before they left. And it says when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God and the priests, Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So the Ark of the Covenant, as you know, is the presence of the Lord himself. And that's what symbolized the Ark was so sacred that if you touched it, you would actually die. And that's happened before. And in 1 Samuel, you can read the story. The Ark was the presence of the Lord. It was kept in the holies of holies. And only the priest once a year could go into the holy of holies to intercede on the, sin, uh, on the behalf of the sins of the people. So here the Ark, the presence of the Lord, went before them. And as soon as the Ark went, they are to go after it. Just like... The Bible doesn't say take risks for God. It never says that. It says follow the Lord when he's calling you. 
So this is not me saying, you know what you should do? Is just do something crazy and see if God catches you. That's actually what Satan told Jesus. He said, jump from this temple and the angels will catch you. And Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So don't go unless the, unless the Lord calls you. But here's the thing. If God is calling you, you better get up your butt and move. That's what I'm saying. So if you know God is calling you to do something, stop doubting. Because you might be missing out on the blessing God has. I think about like the time that Andy, the former youth pastor, asked me to take over junior high youth group. And there was that part of hesitation in my heart because I was 22. And I was like, I was really excited about ministry. I was getting involved. But at the same time, I was just like, am I, am I, can I do this? Because this is, this is what went through my mind. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have a seminary degree. What gives me the right to teach the Bible over anybody else? Why would I start teaching Bible studies and people just listen to what I say? It doesn't make any sense. I would sit in the audience and be like, who's this guy? You're just going to say he's now the youth pastor and everyone's going to listen to him? It doesn't make any sense. I, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. Like, why would anyone even listen to me because I have nothing good to say? But I said, you know what? I would rather take the risk and say yes than go the rest of my life wondering what could have happened if I only said yes to God. And now, like, I, I wouldn't see any of you guys. I, I have no idea where I'd be right now. And so sometimes you got to have the forward-looking faith to say, you know what? I want to put my faith in God because he's a person worth believing. And his word is true and he's faithful. This is not a type of faith where we're saying like just take risks just because. It's not about the amount of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. The target of your faith. In other words, I can have all the faith that I want. And if I put my faith in something that's fragile, it doesn't matter how much faith I have. If the thing's fragile, it's not going to hold me. If I say that I have so much faith that I'm going to just levitate on thin air if I sit down on, in midair, it doesn't matter how much faith I have, I'm going to fall, fall to the ground and get hurt. However, if I put even a little bit of faith in a chair that's sturdy, it doesn't matter if I'm doubting, it doesn't matter if like, oh, that looks like a, sh you know, a shady chair, I don't know if it's going to hold me. It's the, it's the strength of the chair that holds me, not the strength of my faith. In the same way, when you put your faith in God... It's the object, it's the target that matters, not the amount. So just get up, the ark's moving, God's calling, just go. It's like the person said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's where you are today. Lord, I want to obey your voice, I want to obey your calling, but help my unbelief. Maybe God is calling you to be a voice to your generation. And you're young, you're a freshman. God's saying to you that I want you to speak to your generation. I want you to be encouragement. I want you to be a pastor. Start pastoring. Whether or not people recognize you, whether or not people like you, who cares? Start being a blessing to other people. Maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. Great. Start serving other people. Regardless of whether it happens or not, you can be faithful when God's calling you because he's faithful. And here's the other thing. It says stay back about 2,000 cubits. 2,000 cubits, just so you know, is about 1,000 yards. I know I said 2,000 feet earlier this, this week. I was wrong. 1,000 yards. So that's about 10 football fields. So that's quite a distance between you and the ark. Why is that? Why is there such a distance? Well, here's the thing. If you've ever gone on a mission trip with us, 
you know what happens. Unless I'm in the front, everyone starts walking side by side with me. If you're walking side by side with me, now you're getting in front of me. And before you know it, you're all just lost. You're just the blind leading the blind and both fall into a ditch. You need to have some distance so that everyone can see the clear leadership. Who's in control and who's in charge and who's leading. It was God who's leading them, not any one person. It was God who's going to bring them through the Jordan, not any one person. So it was God establishing, establishing clear leadership on who was going to bring them into the promised land. And we have to do the same. Follow the Lord, not our own intuition. But here's the thing that I want you to really hone in on this evening before we close. It says in verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's read that again so that everyone's paying attention. This is what I've been meditating on for all week. Ready? Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You need to sanctify yourself today for the work that God's going to do tomorrow. Sanctify means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be different. And I think about if I only knew what God wanted to do tomorrow, I would sanctify myself today. The Bible says that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. It's because of his kindness, it's because of his blessings that we're like, oh my gosh, I'm such a loser. Because it does not matter how bad I am, God still loves me and he still blesses me. But if we only knew God's plans, we would do a lot better job of fulfilling his calling. If I knew that I was going to be a pastor, I'd be studying when I was 12 years old. I'd be memorizing verses. I'd be up late at night doing Bible studies. So I'd be like, when I'm turned 27 and I'm preaching to Impact Youth Group, I'm going to be ready with all these messages. But I didn't. But you know what's interesting? Around when I was 20, 21, I started reading the Bible and actually, for the first time in my life, I was doing it, not because I was told to, not because I had to, but because I loved it. It was fun. It became fun to me for the first time maybe ever. Before, it was just like, oh, I got to read. But it just became like I started talking to Andy, and I was like, what are some good Bible study methods? Give me some. And then I made my own. You know, he had his 40 different methods, and I made the 41st method. I drew some pictures to highlight one thing in the Bible that I really liked in the chapter. And then I would make these big images. So I, I wanted, what I wanted to do is like for the book of James, I would take one verse that I really liked out of each chapter. And then I would try to draw a picture of that verse. Just, so I, it's easier to remember pictures rather than words. So I'd have five different pictures. And I could summarize the book of James using five pictures in my mind. And just wherever I go, I could remember these five pictures. And that's what I wanted to do with every book of the Bible. I didn't do it with every book of the Bible. But I still remember these pictures to this day. Um, so it was just fun, and I told Andy about this, and what's interesting is God was preparing my heart for leadership, even though I didn't know it. And when I was teaching junior high, and a lot of you guys are in junior high, you guys know the point in which I started teaching way above everybody's heads. Not because I'm smart, it's just because I was actually dumb, and I didn't realize that I was talking on a level that no one could understand. Which means that, like, I was learning all these philosophy things in college, and I figured I could just teach that to junior high kids, because I was stupid. And as I said it, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I listened to my junior high messages, and I'm like, Lord, forgive me, because I didn't know what I was doing. It's honest. But you know what the Lord was doing? He was preparing me for high school ministry. And I started having a burden. I remember the day that I was talking to a high school kid, because Andy asked me to come on high school retreats. 
Because he was always like, hey, so are you doing anything this weekend? I don't have any high school leaders. I'm like, sure, I'll come. So I would go, even though I was a junior high leader, and I went on a high school retreat. I remember talking to high school kids, and they would tell me things like, oh, man, I'm just like, I prayed, Lord, take these feelings away because I like this girl. She doesn't like me back, and, oh, but I still love her. And, and God hasn't taken the feelings away, so maybe it's God's will that I date her. I'm like, no, that is the dumbest thing. I remember having conversations with Dave Duquesne like years ago, and we were driving him in my Porsche 944, my 83, you know, dumb car that I had. It was my first car, and it was like breaking down all the time. It was old, but it was a Porsche. It was cool. And I remember driving, and, and I was like, Dave, I, I think that there is no one that God wants us to marry. He's like, no way. And we just like went back and forth talking about these things. And as I was talking to this kid on this high school retreat, I, just all those things, all the wisdom of my experience just came out, and my heart broke for this person. And I was like, I know what it's like, man. I am sorry for you. <laughs> it's like, here's the thing. You can't pray those things. Because God won't take your desire away from something you know is wrong. Because it's self-control. Otherwise, you would have done the same thing with Adam and Eve, right? Take away the desire from the fruit, even though Eve really wanted to eat the fruit. You know, self-control is knowing things are wrong, but not doing it anyway, even though you have the desire to do it. So I remember saying that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just felt like, like I needed to minister to that kid. And God was preparing my heart for high school ministry. And little did I know. So here's the thing. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we just obeyed the voice of God and sanctify ourselves believing that tomorrow God is going to do a mighty work? And I'm not just saying the mighty work involves like being a pastor. Not saying that at all. In fact, let me tell you this. Pastors in the kingdom of heaven are at the bottom. Just so you know. Our job is to empower you guys to do ministry. Not to take the ministry for ourselves. We're in front of everybody else. We're judged more harshly. We're supposed to be servants of all. We're supposed to be the people that are discipling and trusting you with the word of God so that you can do the work of the ministry. We're at the bottom of the totem pole. You guys are supposed to be ones running with it. So that being said, are you going to, knowing that God's calling you to do something, will you consecrate yourself sanctify yourself today for the work that God will do in your life tomorrow. Which means that you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to stop looking at junk. I'm going to stop flirting with girls. I'm going to stop lying to my parents. I'm going to stop smoking that stuff. I'm going to, but not because I have to, but because I don't want to miss out on one blessing that God has for my life. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? He says that I must wash your feet. Peter says, give me a whole body wash. He says, no, I washed your body. I want to wash your feet. Because as you walk around in this world, your feet are going to get dirty. And God's word has to wash. He has to, to make you clean. You have to, all the junk that you pick up, hanging out with friends in the world, all the, all the clutter, all the bad things, you, you're saved. You've been brought out of Egypt, but your feet are dirty. You need to wash them so you can step into God's promises. Consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself today for the work that God's going to do tomorrow. So ask yourself, what is God calling me to do? And here's the thing. A lot of people in front of you, a lot of people, leaders, a lot of seniors have left. They're gone. And a lot more seniors are going to leave in a month. But you, especially you young people, are you going to catch the vision and say, I dare to believe 
that God wants to use me. I don't know what it looks like. Abraham didn't know when God was calling him to step out into a land where he did not know where he was going, but God called him, and by faith he was saved. You know, the Bible says that without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Do you believe that God will reward you if you seek him diligently? Then step into his promises by washing your feet, allowing God to cleanse you by the watering of his word, and allowing him to do mighty works in your life. Maybe that means getting involved in ministry. Maybe that means just committing yourself to being in church, to read the Bible every single day, to encourage a brother or sister with a Bible verse, to hold someone accountable with the word, to go on a retreat and say, you know what, I'm going to make a stand for Jesus, and I want him to use me in whatever way possible. You never know what God can do. I didn't know. I had no idea what God could do. This past week, I had no idea what God was going to do. I literally didn't know. And there's so many times this week, everybody knows, I was just like, oh, Lord, we're going to die. <laughs> there's no way we're going to survive this. It's like we had our first miracle. We saw our first miracle this, this trip. I don't know if I should say it because I feel like I'm going to get in trouble if I say it. Should I? I'm not going to say it. Okay, I'm not going to say it. Ask me later what that miracle was. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> Sanctify yourselves today for the work that God's going to do tomorrow. I'm going to finish out with this because you guys have been sitting long enough. And my timer didn't tell me that time was up. So I talked way too long. So later on, they stepped in the promises, whatever. Jordan River, all that cool stuff happened. Actually, I should probably just at least read one verse. Ready? So um, verse 13, long story short, they step into the river. It says, and it shall come into pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Okay, cool. Everybody with me? We're going to close out here. I went way too long. Here we go. This is really cool. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen, let's pray. Sorry, inside joke. And some of you here are just like, I hate you because they didn't go on a trip. Sorry. You can go on the next one and you can make fun of all of us. Okay. So here is the, the, the River Jordan, right? And here's the cool thing. As the priests stepped into the river, the river went dry. But it says that later on in the chapter that the water was actually cut off way before, it, way down the road from where the priests actually were. So that it was supernaturally timed that as the waters were stood up by as a heap at a, at a different city, that the water would slowly go to a halt and be dry. So you can imagine it like this. As the priests were putting down their feet, the water receded, receded, receded until it was completely dry. Supernaturally timed. Tells us a couple things. Number one, tells us that sometimes until you put feet to your faith, you're not going to see God move. Until you actually take a step of faith, you might not see God's power. Not before, not after, but during. As Jesus spoke to the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand, and he healed it. Not before, he didn't say, here you go, now you can stretch forth your hand. It's as he commanded it, and as he put action to it, that God's power was revealed. Sometimes you just need to just think and go. Just do something, and let God show up in your life. The second thing is this. God knows your free will choices. It's called foreknowledge. Which means that, 
even before you choose to step into the river, God knows what you're going to do. And that's how he supernaturally timed it, that it would recede by the time that your foot touches the ground. He's not going to let your foot stumble. He enlarges your path under you that you would not slip. He knows every step that you're going to take, every step that you could have taken, every step that you won't take. And because of that, you can have safety knowing that you're following God's path because you can't take a step that you will regret if you are following the Lord when he calls. God knows all your free will choices. So as you go, you're like, I don't know, maybe this is where God's calling me. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do the wired ministry. Maybe that's what God wants me to do. I have no idea. Try it. See what happens. And if you're wrong, you know what? You're not going to foil God's plans. It's like, oh, no, I was going to call you to do this thing, but now you're doing wired ministry. Your life is over. Oh, no, I don't know what I'm going to do with you anymore. He's not going to say that because he's God, which means that it doesn't matter what you do. In the end, God is going to show up. But the question is, will he show up today or show up tomorrow? Will you go your whole life restricting God's blessings until you get to heaven? Or are you going to say, today I want to sanctify myself so that God can move powerfully in my life? Let's pray.